If you see something and it's impossible, turn around and don't go down that road. But I feel if you just keep going, keep trying, keep trying, maybe one day you'll never get there, but I promise you you're going to be a hell of a lot closer than if you didn't even start going down that road. But in most cases, I think if you open your eyes one day, you're going to be looking backwards at the barrier and you're going to be way past it. And in my simple getting dressed example, my record now is two minutes and 41 seconds, two and a half times faster than what I thought was going to be impossible. And that's fully, that, that shoes, socks, underpants, pants, um, I can get in the chair, put the shirt on, be off under three minutes, you know. So it's just, again, it, it, it's mind-blowing to think it's possible, but then you start going and do it, suddenly there you are and you open your eyes and it's done. Welcome to The Enrichment Project, Path to Purpose, recorded by the mad talent at Solid Gold Podcast. It is a series of unfiltered and insightful conversations with some of the most remarkable purpose-driven human beings who have all achieved, created, inspired, triumphed or challenged and we have a great deal to learn from them. It is a quest to uncover and articulate the steps along the way to help you on your own journey of purpose. I am your host Richard Wright and I am delighted to have you with me Thank you for the gift of your time. Let's dive straight in. I could not be more excited or thrilled um, at the guest that I've got lined up for you today. Uh, before I introduce him and bring him into the room, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this phenomenal human being that I'm going to be chatting with today. So in his category, right, he is the first person ever in the history of the world to complete a full Ironman in his category, right? That's a 3.8 kilometer swim. It's a 180 kilometer cycle and a 42.2 kilometer run. He has won his category at the Berlin Marathon seven times. He was a world record holder for 10,000 meters around the track. And he has medaled at some road world champs. He's the first person ever to complete in his category again, the eight kilometer Robin Island swim. And now I need to tell you, he's done all of that as a C6 quadriplegic. So Peter Dupria, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for your time. And we are delighted to have you. Thank you very much. So before I allow you to say anything more, I just have to, I just have to try and explain how remarkable this is to people listening. So where you and I are listening, have most of us have got a hundred percent use of all the muscles in our body, right? Whether we use them, whether we don't, whether we train them, whether we don't, we have use of them. Peter has done all of those events with literally something around 15% of the use of all the muscles in his body, but that's not all. He isn't able to breathe the way you and I can because of the muscles in his chest and muscles around his lungs. So he has to, and he'll tell himself far better than I will, but he's using different muscles to breathe. But that's still not all. He isn't able to regulate his body temperature and he isn't able to get his heart rate up, which obviously for any major sport, any athletics, that's pretty critical. And from a performance point of view, that's very necessary. So with those limitations, he has managed to do some incredibly remarkable things. Peter, can you perhaps just explain those limitations a little bit better than I can? Mm. Yeah, look, I mean, you've done a pretty good job. Um, but yeah, you know, I just want to disclaim as well, the 15% is sort of my own little 
calculation of that. It might even be less than that. Uh, I doubt it would be more than that. Um, but yeah, you know, I think also, you know, those things that you mentioned, the first part of it all for me is really that it's the physical side that everybody sees. But the hardest part is those things like blood pressure that's low, heart rate that can't go up. Um, and I mean, as much as you want your arms to go faster and your lung capacity isn't the problem, but if your heart rate doesn't want to pump, you're not going to be able to go faster. And that's a big limitation. But I mean, other simple things like just no control over your bowel and your bladder are uh, also things that people don't realize of any spinal cord injuries, not just quadriplegics. Um, and those are things that are all issues on a daily basis, not just during a race or anything. That is really tough and what you, that you have to sort of come to grips with on how you deal with those things on a daily basis, never mind a race. So one of the things that's always struck me since the moment our paths crossed is your attitude. And even now, for those of you who are listening in podcast version, you, you really need to get across to YouTube to go and have a look at this chat. It's just your attitude, your vibe, you just, you radiate happiness, you radiate positivity and your entire life changed. And I, I just, that to me is, I don't even find the right words, is what I find so remarkable about you. Well, thanks. Sure. Can you please take us back to that day where everything changed for you? Yeah, so it's an ironic story. Um, I was, I had a bit of a hamstring niggle. So before my accident, I was already sort of um, had my big dreams and goals and wanted to go to the Olympics. Um, and I ended up being, you know, big on my passion for triathlons um, in the end, although I came from a running background. But yeah, I had a hamstring niggle and I'd been to the chiropractor once before um, and it was 30 k's away. I had to do 60 k's of training on the day. So I thought, kill two birds with one stone. And then on my way to the chiropractor on the bicycle um, to get my spine in alignment, uh, a car didn't see me and it knocked my spine completely out of alignment. So it's actually a very ironic story. But yeah, and I mean, I was lying there flat on the tour. Um, it was an elderly lady um, who, who knocked me off the bike and she stopped at the stop street and she just didn't see me. It was just purely accident. Was, she wasn't drunk. She wasn't nothing. It was an accident. It happens. Um, sure. And anyway, she thought a rock hit the car and then she got out of the car and she saw the bike and then she saw me on the other side of the road um, and she started screaming hysterically um, sure. and it was incredible for me how, you know, I'm a man of faith and just how the grace of God was there with me. Um, I calmed her down and told her immediately I forgive her, but she must calm down so we could deal with the situation. And, wow. you know, at that point I wasn't able to move even my shoulders. Um, so I knew something was wrong with my neck, uh, whether it was going to be permanent or not. I mean, at that point I had no idea. What I didn't realize, and thank God I couldn't feel that stuff then, was I broke my femur and crushed my kneecap and broke my wrists and stuff. So um, I was just lying face down on the toe in the middle of a very hot day, 6 October 2003. Sure. And yeah, I looked from there. Um, I went to the nearest hospital who couldn't deal with the injuries. I started battling to breathe there as well, but I got then taken to the nearest um, P1 hospital who could deal with that kind of injuries. And um, that ended up being the Union Hospital in Alberton. And um, that's where I spent 42 days in ITU, uh, 32 days on a ventilator. And um, I mean, there was a lot of things that happened. I mean, I lost control of my eyesight um, because the swelling went up to the brainstem. And yeah, I mean, things went from bad to worse before it got better, you know, but I've got some crazy stories in ICU, as I'm sure many other people who's been on morphine and in induced comas and stuff and had holes drilled in the head, etc., cetera, oh. will be able to tell, you know, so. But yeah, sure. now we're here today and still smiling. And tell me, so, so from a pain point of view, lying there on the tarmac, um, what could you feel? Look, so it was a funny thing. So first of all, um, 
from after that and before that, well, actually only after that having some big injuries, I think adrenaline takes away a lot of the pain. Um, mm. But yeah, I, at that point, honestly, I could just feel almost nothing. But I mean, if you speak with people with spinal injuries, there was a, I felt like I was on fire. Sure. Um, and that, yeah, I mean, that's a normal spinal nerve um, injury sort of kind of feeling. But other than that, um, like I said, I couldn't move anything. So, you know, I did ask the guys, look, is there anything? Because at that stage, I was still um, hoping that, okay, I'll be okay. And so I just wanted to know what's the damage to the rest of my body. So I asked him, is the legs still look okay? And Because other people yeah. actually arrived and took the lady away from me because she just kept screaming. At, you know, she was sure. hysterical. Wow. But, but yeah, so then they told me, no, look, um, your knee looks in a weird position, so something's up there. I remember that specifically. Um, but, yeah, and, I mean, then there was a lady, I even remember her name, Desiree Goss, who, like, she just stayed there and kept me calm, but sort of held yeah. the newspaper over my head because it was very hot in the middle of the day and stuff. So, and they stayed there until the ambulance arrived, you know. So, wow. but, yeah, luckily I wasn't in pain, you know. But, yeah, you know, the big thing for me was that incredible calmness, which I had, and as I say, for me, yeah, I just want to say it was a spiritual moment, but, you know, I, I was just calm as hell. Wow. So the lady who caused the accident, and as you said, it's just an accident. Um, yeah, just an accident. Um, are you still in contact? Okay, so we aren't, but I also want to touch on what you just said about just an accident, because people mm. will think oh, just it is just an accident. I, I, it's almost like I want people to get this in their heads. Because I want to ask you, how many times have you been driving your car, or it might be something else that could have caused something like this, but driving in your car, maybe I'm the only person then, but I've been in my car, stop at a stop, so you don't think what I'm doing, drive, and then suddenly I wake, oh, shucks, I almost hit somebody. And I've just been very fortunate that I haven't actually hurt somebody in such a serious way as I was injured. Okay, So I think people need to think about that. If she was drunk or did something wrong, Yes. Okay. And, and people say, yeah, but she was still negligible because she didn't see you and it was the middle of the day. But it was an accident. These things happen. Yeah. It's life, you know. Um, and thank God that's the way I think about it as well. Um, and I always say forgiveness sets you free. Um, and I think that's very important because that's always I want to say what saved me not going down that road of why and hating this lady. But to answer your question, yes, she came to the hospital. Um, she brought me food. When I was out of hospital and rehab, she came there and it was completely on the other side of town. And to be really honest, I've got huge respect for this lady. I think till the day she dies, if I don't walk into her house, she will feel guilty. But that's her problem. That's not mine. Yeah. I forgave her and I told her yeah, to you her can't, face. You can't carry that. Uh, yes. Mm. But, um, you know, for me, uh, you know, how many people do you know that does where something like this happens and they know they sort of cause this to a person, has the guts? Yeah to go there every day and face my mom, who obviously hated her wow. uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah. But yeah, so I kept contact, but then eventually my mom had a lot of trauma. She's passed away, my mom since as well. But um, And I just think um, for me, every time the phone rang at home, she started like, who's that? No, 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 and things started going off. And I just realized it was a trigger. And I told the lady, she, it's better if she doesn't phone me for a while because, um, you know, yeah. just... I didn't want when a friend phones me that my mom gets upset almost because that's how yeah. bad it almost got at a certain point. So, wow. um, but I mean, backing my mom, there's no way you treat a situation like this. There's no textbook. Um, so, uh, sure. you know, it's not like I think my mom did something wrong because how are you supposed to treat a situation like that? You know? So, yeah. anyway, I'm just glad, uh, you know, for me, 
you know, it was that lady and that she had the guts to come and support me and chat with me afterwards. And um, yeah. yeah, that the situation ended up as it did. Yeah, sure. I think for her, maybe also part of her own healing. Um, but I mean, how, how do you deal with that? You've literally ruined a person's life. Although we, we could also talk about that, you know, um, and if I think of, mm. of your life, how many other people that you have impacted and the positive impact that you've had on thousands of people and stem from that event. So, yeah, how do we turn tragedy into something completely different? Mm. But for those, especially those of you who are watching this on YouTube, for, the, for those of you listening, I'm looking at Peter on the screen right now and I can see his shoulders and I can see his head and he's moving his head around and um, from time to time the arms come up and he's moving his shoulders back. And if I looked at you, Peter, and I didn't know your situation, you, you look completely normal. Um, can, you, you know, can, can, you, can, you, can you help us out a little bit there? Yeah, so I think that's the point for me as well about, yeah, it's, it's almost like I want to say I am completely normal. But if you see there the whole picture, then suddenly people get scared or they get, I want to say, overcompensate instead of just treating you normal. Um, and look, some guys never get over it when they're in a situation like this. Um, some guys take years. But if they're at the point where they've moved on with life, they're actually just a normal person and that's how you should treat them. And, you know, that's what almost irritates me the most. If somebody comes and tells me, oh, your wheelchair is like a Ferrari or what? It's all these old ladies normally in the shops or whatever. That's almost like what I call overcompensation or trying to be too nice. And I'm just like, just treat me normally, please. And then other people who look at you and then the moment they see you see it, they look away kind of thing. Um, but, I mean, the point is it's not their fault. Uh, you know, I am different. I also had to learn that I need to break the ice and get people sort of to just realize, oh, let's just talk normally. Ask me the question. Yeah. Ask me the questions you want to ask because sometimes you can see these guys want to ask the questions, but they're scared. And in the end, you're just a normal person. Just ask me because I'd, I'd love to yeah. answer them. So, so I'm delighted that you answered the question that way because part of what we are going to talk about today is normal and how when we can normalize something in ourselves mm. and we can accept uh, and that becomes normal, that gives us a certain power. It's an incredibly empowering thing. Um, and you've taken it to the next level. Um, so it is. Everything in your life is normal. And right now as we're recording this, we're in the middle of a COVID pandemic. And so many people are saying, I just want to go back to normal. If we could just go mm. back to normal, you know, how amazing would that be? Um, so I know this from a you know brain cancer point of view, sitting there when you're told that you are going to die, you do, you want to, I just want to go back to normal. I want the old Richard back. And then, and I know you can relate, it's hard to, and, and I want to talk about this in some detail, it's very hard to accept this or, or live in this moment because you, there's, there's fear in terms of what is going to come. There's fear in terms of what is my life going to look like? What is going to happen to me? Am I actually going to succumb to the cancer? So because we have this uncertainty and the unknown, and that's part of this COVID pandemic, nobody's been to the other side. Nobody can come back and say, hey guys, here's the handbook. This is what's going to happen. This is, you know, second wave, third wave, fourth wave. And then the fifth wave, it gets better. And then, you know, we, we have yeah. no idea. So until then, we're stuck in this place where we want to go back to normal. We don't want to accept this normal and we're scared of the normal that's going to come. But until we can you know, accept this normal, what, what it is, this now, where we are at, we can't actually move forward. So mm. can you talk to me a bit about, surely there must have been some feelings of, of being a victim, feeling like a victim. Surely there must have been some depression, <laughs> some dark times. You see, so this is a very strange thing, but um, when I do, I sometimes do some talks and stuff, um, I believe in miracles. I, you know, as I say, I'm a man of faith. Um, 
and I believe in miracles. I'm not an angel by no means, um, but uh, somehow the one thing that's very strong is my actual faith and just trusting. And um, yeah, you know, obviously I feel miracles happen. I can get up and walk one day. But for me, the biggest miracle is I'm sitting here today and it's more than 17 years. Now, 6 October this year, it was 17 years. And I have not had one of those moments, not once. Now that wow. is a much bigger miracle than standing up and walking. And so unfortunately well, now sure. you want me to talk about that and I can talk a lot about it and what I see in tons of everyone else around me. Obviously, um, now you see many of these guys, I go to rehabs and help guys show them how to do stuff, etc. And you see all these things and I go to rehabs and I look at this situation. I'm like, geez, this was supposed to be really hard, but the irony of it all is here I am back on nappies, 23 years old, and I had fun trying to figure out how am I actually going to be able to put a sock on without a tool. Sure. And I, it was, it was fun for me and I cannot explain it to you, but and, and when I say fun, whether you say, yeah, I accept it, I moved on, all psychologists kept on wanting to give me antidepressant pills when I was in rehab, first shot, that's what they do, because they say you're going to hit the wall. There's a place for that stuff, but I just felt as long as I hold on to my faith, I'll be fine. So I had huge fights with them, and they said I was going to hit the wall and be, I'm in denial, etc. But yeah, up till today, I go there and I realize I should just be thankful, because for me, in that moment, I just made it a challenge and I had fun trying to figure out that challenge and what fueled my fires when everyone else was telling me, but you won't ever be able to do it. And it pissed me off. Yeah. But it yeah. also, I almost want to say it's the same with my whole attitude about sports and your competitors and stuff. Uh, same as when I broke that 10,000 meter world record. When you tell me stuff like that, it almost fuels my fire. So I almost want to thank them for that. Because I think if it wasn't for that, I probably wouldn't even have been here or might have even taken me longer. So, yeah. but yeah, that's my answer to that. I mean, and there's, there is, most other people, you know, they do struggle and have those depression moments and tough times. But honestly, you can ask everybody who's known me from the day of my accident and they'll just tell you that they all don't understand it. I just put it towards my faith, but I haven't had a bad day. Look, I've been cross when a taxi drives into my car. I've had bad days like any... What we now talk about a normal person, I actually hate the word normal, but it's just, we have to use it. Yeah. But in terms of sitting in this chair, any big things in my life, somehow, maybe it's a gift from God, but I've just managed to carry on and change a bad situation into something great. You've made it this far, probably because the topic resonated with you. If you're wondering what the show is all about, listen to the trailer at the start of the season and find out how this show is going to help you along your own path to purpose. You've stumbled on a project that is all about purpose. Find out why the guests are all so vastly different, but yet all have so much in common. Hop on board this journey with me, follow the Enrichment Project so that you don't miss out on a single episode and share it with, well, everyone. We are all looking for more meaning in our lives. If the show speaks to your identity or the identity of your brand, consider sponsoring a season. Let's make the circle bigger. Back to the episode and thanks for listening. So in conducting these 
interviews and, and having these conversations. Um, and obviously this thing called purpose intrigues me and fascinates me. I'm curious about it. And it's a big part of my own journey. And there's lots about what you said that I can, that resonates with me, that I, I can relate to. And, you know, exactly the same. The more people told me that I couldn't do an Ironman with stage four brain cancer, the more it made me just hold my beer. You know, that, I'm, <laughs> I'm, that is what it is, right? So what I'm trying to uncover and unpack is where that thing comes from, right? And so for you, you're a man of faith and there's that, that strong belief in this desire. And for other people, it might be different things. For me, it is, if I can do this, I'm proving to myself that I can do um, something harder. I'm proving to myself that I'm going to be okay. I'm proving to myself that I can overcome this thing. So there's a lot of that. And then there's the competitive part in me, which I think that is, that is due to a T. I mean, could you tell me, is there a world record for a C6 quadriplegic in terms of how long it takes to put your clothes on? So, I mean, yeah, I have it, obviously. I have it, obviously. I mean, I always talk about my, you know, you've obviously heard that story about my getting dressed, but um, I have. The, the, the point being, look, it isn't any official record. I mean, I suppose I should go and make an official one or whatever and let's <laughs> really put it down in the Guinness books. But the point being, you know, it, it's just I, I call it the world record, but no, so there isn't officially one, but I made my own sort of marks and then marks that I thought was impossible in everything I did and my own little, what I call world records, but it's not an official thing or whatever, but um, because it's actually a lot of these things was just, it's never been done before or guys of my level of disability just don't do it. You just get told you can't. So it's my yeah. own little world record, but so every time I break that or whatever, it's a motivator, you know? So yes, I'm with you. Competitive spirit, a big part of it's my faith. Um, yeah. But I think the other thing I just also realized, uh, you know, from the start, uh, but there, there was a big lead up into my accident in terms of my faith and you know, just how things happened. You know, I really feel I was born to be a quad, to be honest. But uh, for yeah. me, what was interesting is also I realized almost suddenly through this whole experience and in hospital and how many people suddenly came to visit me there, which I feel ashamed to say today, half of that people that came to visit me and there was tons, let me just tell you. Um, sometimes there was 30 people in the waiting room waiting to come in. Wow. And half of those people, either I didn't know, or even if I knew they were in an accident, I probably wouldn't even have gone to the hospital. And that made me realize what an impact we make on other people's lives. And what I want to so, get to here is, you're talking about, so what drives you, what got you like moving forward or just having that attitude? And the honest answer is people. And when I was in the accident, it's almost like I felt now I have a responsibility because I've got even more people that I'm influencing, more eyes on me, what's going to happen now? And the fact that I realized that motivated and drive me because I realized I need to show these people this is a way of how you deal with it, hopefully in a good way and turn a bad thing into something great. So for me, people is the motivator, you know. Wow. Okay. It's one of the steps in terms of the path to purpose is, um, you know, understanding what we give a damn about. And, you know, that's huge. It's always from a purposeful journey. It's always something that is bigger than yourself outside of yourself. So that answer there just hit the nail in the head. It's greater than you. So just to go back, because I think some of the people need some context. I know the story, but many people probably won't. So I'm also quite similar to you in that I finished events and I said, ah, yes, I've, you know, that Iron Man, I won the cancer category, you know, because there isn't cancer category, you know, and maybe there should be, I don't know. And then I want did I just win the brain cancer category or did I win the cancer category? Do I have the world record for somebody who's got brain cancer getting to the finish line? So, you know, that that's exactly the same thing for me. It's extremely, extremely competitive, right? 
So, mm. so just give us some context. The first time you put your clothes on without help, how long did it take you? It took me 50 minutes. Um, but obviously there's a big lead up into just that because you had to figure out each element on its own. And again, maybe just to explain to people, I've got no hand or finger function. I can't move my fingers at all. So, I mean, I would try and see my hand here. So it looks like I'm moving my fingers, but all I'm moving oh. is my wrist. And if it looks like my fingers are touching, so there's big grip, but there's actually, I can just, there's no grip really. So everything I do is actually trick movement. So, so again, so no handle fingers, no tricep function. The only muscles I actually have are this wrist movement, my biceps and my shoulders. The rest, there's no movement over the whole of my body, nothing. So, so can, I, can I stop you for two seconds there, right? So for the, those of you who don't know, um, for those of you who can see, the bicep is the inside muscle on the arm, and the tricep is the one underneath, right? Mm. So just got biceps, no triceps. No triceps. And then well, the wrists. No functional tricep. When I see you touching, can you feel your fingers? Yes, I can. So sensoric, I'm incomplete. So most guys on my level who are complete sensoric and motor, they won't have feeling um, from your, basically your middle finger, onwards to your pinky and underneath your arm, the whole bottom of your arm, you don't have feeling and the rest of your body, you've got no oh. feeling. I've got, I've got sensation over my whole body, like light touch. Um, and I'm very fortunate. So I can feel even when the wind blows on the hair of my legs, but oh. I can't feel pain. I can't feel heat and cold, but every little bit helps because for instance, I, I will know, oh, my foot fell off my chair and I won't go over it and break okay. my ankle. The other guys will like, so it's happened before, not often, but the, the, the guy wow. falls off his chair and he rolls over it in bed when he breaks his ankle because he didn't realize his foot, his leg came off, you know, wow. too late. So every little bit helps. But yeah, point being, yeah, I don't have normal feeling, but yes, I can feel my fingertips. And I can now, okay. in, the, in the beginning, I could also feel nothing. And it's amazing how I actually got some uh, sensation and that slightly, gradually over the years are getting slightly better. But like yeah. you can stick a knife in my body and it'll spasm because that's other stuff. I've got spasms. You have to be careful of pressure sores, all that stuff. Oh. But I won't, I'll still sit and look at you uh, not feeling serious yeah. pain because of a knife stuck in my leg or something. You know? So it's, it's strange. Okay. And, and then shoulders. So you, your neck, obviously, um, yeah, and shoulders. Neck, so shoulders. So, I mean, if I put it down to by you know, exact anatomy, I've got a little bit of pick minor. They graded out of five. So zero is nothing, five is normal. So pick minors, I would say I've got about two, but pick major and down pretty much almost nothing. And then for the rest, the stairs minor, major, and, and your shoulders, you know, the scapularis, infraspinatus, um, supraspinatus. So most of my shoulder, you'd say, works, but there's a lot of other like lats and that kind of stuff, which also helps with stability. Like for instance, when you transfer, if you have triceps, you can hold your balance. If you don't have triceps, I lock my arms when I transfer. So all your balance and stuff is either with your head and how uh, you've played with your shoulders and angles and stuff just to keep your balance. But, um, you know, even lats and that stuff helps, but I don't have those, you know, so. And then breathing again, I don't have the intercostal muscles in my chest. Um, so I breathe mostly just with diaphragm. And then there's, again, your upper shoulder muscles sometimes also helps and that's, I mean, we're probably not going to go into it, but recently when I, I have punched my lungs with dry needling, um, well, the reason why that happened is because I actually have overcompensation with those muscles at the top to help the breathing. So it's just, sorry, I can't let that go. So when I first chatted to you to set this up, 
um, you you didn't respond for a couple of days because you're in ICU or you're in hospital, right? Because yeah. you punctured like just. But wait, tell me what happened about nine weeks ago. Yeah. So, I, but yeah, maybe the universe is trying to tell me something. But <laughs> uh, I went to pick up my son from school, two hundred meters down the road. Yeah, in my normal day chair, um, and it's just got this clip-on thing. Um, that I clip onto the day chair uh, and then it, it helps you, you know, easier on the road and stuff. And literally 200 meters in a straight line from my house, as I was going into the parking lot, um, it's just a slight upslope and then down into the parking lot. I wasn't even going fast, like 10, 12 guys an hour maybe. The brakes failed and I had to flip over or hit the wall. I had to make the decision and I decided to flip over and take my chances. So um, I broke my shoulder. So basically dislocated the AC joint completely and broke the paracoid process off the scapula completely. So look, a very, very serious injury for a guy like me that already has nothing, you know, so, um, major. but anyway, look, it's all good now, but yeah, I mean, the irony of it all I just say is that that stuff should happen when you're going 80 k's an hour down a downhill on your racing bike or something, not picking up your son, but life happens, you know, so I'm still alive. And and this is the year where you should have been in Tokyo, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's funny because, I mean, it happened literally when I was probably already going to be in Tokyo with my family for Paralympics. Oh. So, uh, hopefully, it still happens next year. It's moved the year. But, yeah, so it's just the interesting yeah. couple of last nine weeks that I've had. But, yeah, I, wow. you know, sometimes it pushes you and makes you make decisions to shape the way the future should be going. I don't know. Let's see where it ends. I think that's the crazy thing about you is just your whole attitude towards that and, and how you deal with these things and how incredibly strong and good you are at dealing with things that for other people would be like the end of the world, literally, you know, and, and go on and on and on about them. But, you know, beginning of the interview, you said, you know, Rich, I'm going to be moving a little bit because I just need to move my shoulder. And <laughs> I hope that's okay with you. Sure. <laughs> it's like, it's quite something. Okay. But now, now we're jumping around and I like the fact that, you know, you can just have a chat like this and that's great, but I need to get back to you dressing yourself. Let's go. Mm. Yeah. So, um, again, so with that little function, I, the big thing for me is also, I didn't want to use tools because they are assistive tools that's, that to help you with certain things. Um, but I didn't want to have to carry a bag of tricks wherever I go so I can just do stuff. And sure, I do use tools for, for where, uh, you know, it is necessary, etc. But, yeah, you know, certain things I just thought, now I'll be able to figure this out. So, um, anyway, so it took me 50, 51 minutes to dress myself that first time. And I mean, normally dress on the bed. And I told my, look, and I was dead tired. And I was right in the beginning of coming out of rehab. <laughs> done. Um, done. And um, then I just said, look, that's not functional. I you can't dress 51 minutes every day almost now every day so i decided a functional time for me would be 15 minutes one five so if i i felt if i could get to dress in 15 minutes then on a daily basis i can live with that so what i said is there was a lady that was with me in the beginning amazing um, lady karen staley and um she i could i gave her my stopwatch and i it was on your marks get set go and I could see she was laughing, you know, inside. Obviously, she didn't want to laugh in front of me. I knew she was laughing, this guy timing himself getting dressed. And he'll never get there. I mean, she could see that I was slow and useless, I was, you know. But anyway, the idea was that I dress, and when I get to 15 minutes, I stop, and then she can finish me up. And obviously, some days I even then trained after that one aspect of this, that, whatever. But uh, the whole idea was to hopefully, on a daily basis, slowly but surely get closer and closer, and hopefully one day be fully dressed at 15 minutes. And um, I think it was 
about a month later, one step forward, two, two steps forward, one step back, I opened my eyes and I hit 15 minutes and I was fully dressed. Wow. And then I said, I'm not going to leave it there. I'm going to make my, what we spoke about, world record impossible time, seven minutes. Exactly. And um, it, I, would, I knew I would never get there. But, you know, as long as I saw I was getting faster, it motivated me because it meant I was getting better at, at this whole thing about living life. And I mean, I started timing everything, not just getting dressed. Um, mm. But anyway, it was probably about two months later, uh, I opened my eyes under 10 minutes, under nine minutes, and suddenly two months later, I opened my eyes, I drank seven minutes. You know, for me through sure. that, it's again, comes down to, I, I'm fine with seeing a barrier, but I don't see it as something impossible. I see it as something I want to go smash through. And I feel if you see something and it's impossible, you turn around and don't go down that road. But I feel if you just keep going, keep trying, keep trying, maybe one day you'll never get there, but I promise you're going to be a hell of a lot closer than if you didn't even start going down that road. But in most yeah. cases, I think if you open your eyes one day, you're going to be looking backwards at the barrier and you're going to be way past it. And in my simple getting dressed example, my record now is two minutes and 41 seconds, two and a half times faster than what I thought was going to be impossible. I think it's faster than me. And that's fully, that, that shoes, socks, underpants, pants, um, I can oh. get in the chair, put the shirt on, be off under three minutes, you know? So it's just, again, it, it it's mind-blowing to think it's possible, but then you yeah. start going and do it, suddenly there you are and you open your eyes and it's done. I understand. So for me, I think this is a very, very big and powerful thing in terms of your life and how you have got to where you are right now. And I'd even go so far as to say, you know, I know you've said now you are prepared to recognize the barriers there, but I don't think you see the barriers. I think you see the goal and where you want to go. And that is the power of purpose is this idea of what I want and I'm just going to keep on doing it. And if I focus on that, you know, there's that saying that says the obstacle is the thing that you see when you take your eyes off the goal. For you, I don't think they're obstacles because it, you're just so focused on what you want and where you want to go that you get there. Yeah. Look, I want to say the goal is the barrier for me. <laughs> ah, okay. All right. I always want to say that. Yeah. Okay. yeah, but, yeah. but that is the thing. It's the goal. The dream is the thing you can't touch. But if you set the date for me, the dream becomes the goal. There we go. If you never set a date, it stays a dream and if you can't touch it. You know, and the thing is, it doesn't have to be a time. People can apply whichever way they want to see this, but you can apply to like just anger management or spending more time with your kids. Yeah. But you put a date down and say, I'm going to check in and see, am I better? And you put some people in place who can keep you accountable. Correct. And on that date, you check in. And if you're there where you want to be, then great. If you're not, at least it's something you can touch. But if you never set that yeah. date, it's almost like it just stays a dream. It keeps floating and you never check in. You know, so. Thank you. That's powerful. So part of the study is to look at you know, people who are saying, I've got these things I'm obsessed about. I've got these things that um, you know, I, I do without thinking. I do hard things, you know, but, but I can't. I don't know that that's my purpose, or I don't know that I can earn money at that, or I don't know where that's going to take me. Um, it could be gaming. It could be a sport. It could be, it could be anything, really. And part of this is to try and say, but hold on two seconds, so we can understand what it is about that thing that makes you feel so obsessed. What is it about that thing that you think is normal for you, but the rest of us look at you and like, gee, that guy's a little bit nuts because he manages to do that, and, and he, he likes it. You know, what's wrong with him? What is that stuff? So I have this thought, right? that this elite athlete, this person you were, this elite athlete that was chasing times and wanting to be the best, and you had these aspirations of getting right up to the top, that thing that you're obsessed about, and you know, you're doing that thing when you got knocked off your bicycle, 
that's just been carried through. That same obsession has been, is, is the same stuff that is you wanting to time yourself and set a world record of getting dressed. You wanting to obliterate these obstacles. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, I know, for sure. Um, there was a documentary video made of me a couple of years ago. It's a short one. Um, but anyway, long story short, it's called Still Running. Because for me, I, you know, one of the things I always uh, said is I was running before my accident yeah. and I'm still running mm. just in a different way. Um, and it's exactly that for me. You know, it's, you know, the thing for me is your body is just your body. It's not who you are. It doesn't define who you are. Who you are is who you are inside you. Peter, the beatenness, the super beatenness, whatever, the richness. And, you know, the drive, the purpose, all that kind of stuff. Yes, I was on my way doing it in a certain way with my body in that way. And then I broke my neck and now my body works differently. Yeah. And I had to find another way. But the, the purpose was still the same. And yeah. The person was still the same, maybe just even stronger and better and more driven. I don't know. But yeah, you know, that's how I see it. Definitely that. So our challenges make us, right? Um, or break us. That's a choice. So tell me now, how, how did you, what got you from timing yourself to getting dressed to smashing world records and being the first person to cross the finish line of a full iron man as a c6 quad what was that why that yeah so look iron man has always been a big thing um and triathlon as i said that's just what i was chasing and i mean to be honest for me to to go full circle on feeling that i have now conquered triathlon again for me it was a very important thing because i, I would have for me i wanted to feel like i'm always back to the normal that we're talking yeah. about. But I would have felt I'm back to normal. I'm back to almost to, I really felt I was almost before my accident, if I can put it that way. But yeah, I mean, even before my accident, you told me the focus is purpose here, you know, and why do you do that stuff, you know? And again, it's just, I do it because, I mean, it sounds funny, but a lot of times, number one, because I can, and there's others that can't. Mm. So I must take my opportunities and go with them. But the irony is after my accident, I almost want to say the opportunities weren't there. I had to create my own opportunities. Sure. Um, but that's the other thing that I think people need to realize. If you want a goal or a dream or anything, you need to make it happen. If there's an opportunity you want, whatever, some guys are lucky or sometimes the opportunity just the door just opens, but then you better sure as I'll take it. But other times the door doesn't even open. But if you really want it, you need to make that opportunity. And with that famous saying of Gary Player, the harder you practice, the luckier you yeah. get. Uh, but I always feel people misinterpret it because of the way it's said. I want to say you create your own luck. That That's actually mm. what that saying for is sure. saying. For sure. Is that you create your own luck. And yeah, you know, for me, the motivation behind it and all that stuff is part of the purpose. But it's, for me, even before my accident, I was a positive guy. I try, I, for me, it was about impacting people. Uh, I mean, you spoke about it, that's in the beginning. Yeah. And that's the thing. I want to make an impact in people's lives. I want to change the world in a good way, but it starts within yourself and it starts right here in the circles around you. And changing one person's life is already a win. For sure. You don't have to change the whole world, but if you change one person's life, that person might change another's life and you were part of that, you know, and that's purpose for me. I mean, that's making a good impact in whatever you do. And my vehicle was sport. Why? Because I loved it. And I, you know, I think it's, all of this for me aligns with my faith and, you know, spirituality and those kind of things. But I just really think that is where I would say my ethos is, you know, is in sport. But 
you know, I studied XI, all that stuff, but I just feel for me it's a challenge and sport and Ironmans and triathlons. I just think it's it's one of the biggest challenges because it's not just how you prepare and the timing of getting your body right. On the day you've got things like the weather and stuff that happens and crashes and all that kind of stuff. And that's why I just love that more than, for instance, writing an exam because I can be sick, can be crazy weather, whatever, and you can still go and write the exam. But you don't have to face that kind of stuff. If I'm sick and I need to go do a proper race, you can't because the body doesn't want to function. And you need to have your body so finely tuned and get the timing right to go perform on that specific day. And that's just extra cool for me, you know, and um, I, I guess that's why I'm so passionate about it. That's why my vehicle to making that impact and getting to the purpose I feel my life has is sport. Yeah. Sure. Um, and so I know that you swim double arm backstroke, right? So you swim double arm backstroke. And then um, what does the, the bike look like that you use in an Ironman? Yeah, so the bike I lie flat on my back and you've got hand pedals in front of you, um, but you pedal together. It's not like on a normal bike where it's… Yeah, so one, 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 one. Yes. It's both together, it's together, right? It's both together, yeah. And um, you've got the normal gears and everything. As a quad, I was part of the evolution of hand cycling for quads almost because the bike was made for Paris. Um, but now with electronic shifting, it's even cooler. Um, wow. It's just a button that you press. But, I mean, I've got the buttons and the brakes that I do with my elbows, my forearms. Um position next to me so and obviously because i can't hold the handles i've got special grips um that i sort of custom made it works myself a lot of guys use the handle uh, um, gloves that click in or make like special gloves and things that they they can use so quite technical but yeah that's the bike it's very thick i mean even as a quad it gets very technical because you know a lot of times we're all different or one side is stronger than the other so yeah there's lots of small nuances so each person sometimes has something extra technical that he has to sort of figure out so but yeah and then on the run that's in the racing chair so you sit sort of on your knees it's also got three wheels but you sit down on your knees there's no gears it's got a push rim one gear and that's that you push the rim and you go you know so most uncomfortable and most technical of all the three the position on the chair can't be comfortable how do you support what's supporting your torso yeah so i mean in my case i like the, the Paris that's got trunk, um, they go up and down and use the trunk. But in my case, I actually have my knees even higher up than the Paris because I don't have the wow. tricep function and I, I'm, I'm on my knees. So it's, yeah, it takes a lot of playing, especially in the beginning. Obviously now over the years, I've gotten good at it, but to get your yeah. position right. But even now still, if I do a lot of hard training or a long push uh, after a marathon, I, I get these like lumps on my chest here at the top near my sternum because of the pressure, you know. And I mean, there's ways of putting padding or whatever, but uh, yeah, you know, when I race, that's how I race. You know? So it's, yeah. the, the point is you're never gonna get it perfectly comfortable, but it, when you do it, um, the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. It's like a bike as well. I mean, triathlon 180Ks, yeah. in the end it's uncomfortable, but if you do long rides, you yeah. get used to it. So. Sure, um, okay. So, so the events that you are better at are the longer events, is that right? Because you, you don't have control over your torso and you can't use that movement from uh, that the sprinters yes. have an advantage there, right? Yeah. So let me put it this way. I mean, if I race against another guy with exactly my disability, uh, it's all side, same side. So, I mean, I, yeah. the only event that was open for my category was sprints at the Paralympics um, okay. in 2012 in London. And I was sixth in the final. So I'm not bad at sprints, 
but not at it's all. not my wow. focus. It's just not my passion. Uh, you know, I must say the big denominator in a, in a wheelchair, really, in the racing chair, well, and the bike and everything really is the tricep, not, not so much the trunk. But sure, the trunk plays a big role when it comes to sprints. Yeah. But when I'm racing in my own category, it, it's not about, you know, everybody doesn't have trunk or you're not supposed to have trunk unless you cheat. So, um, you know, it's just for me, yes, uh, I naturally, I just more inclined anyway to endurance events. I've got big lungs and I just love it. And obviously the mind and the, the passion for it. So that's why I just like that more. Sure. Okay. And then there's another, um, I don't even want to use the word obstacle, but there's another complication and that is your eyesight. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, um, I was born with a degenerative eye disease, um, and it's called choroideremia. So for those, it's, it's more rare, but for those that know about RP, retinitis pigmentosus, the impact in the end is the same. You start getting tunnel vision and, um, eventually go completely blind. So, I mean, right now at sitting at the age of 40, um, I've already lost central vision in the left eye and my right eye is very, very close now. My peripheral vision is almost mm -hmm. zero. Can't see at night at all. I'm, still, I'm going colorblind um, and mm. like going from sun into shade, all that stuff. So, I mean, I don't really even like driving my car much anymore. And I must say COVID now, being in the house most of the time, not driving, that didn't help because again, the more you do something, the more comfortable you are with it. But now suddenly now mm. going out again with the car suddenly is much harder for me. And I don't think it's yeah. so much the eyesight that's gotten worse versus just not doing it and not realizing how just being in the motion of something keeps you going, you know, so, but yeah, so that's another complication that's up and um, look, there's this clinical trials. Now my older brother also has this and he's now part of the last phase of the clinical trials where they do one eye, which will stop it. Um, but it, you can't okay. fix what's dead on your retina. Um, so, okay. and that looks very good, but it will only roll out and now COVID hasn't helped that timeline as well, but it'll only roll out probably in 2022, 2023. So I'm just praying sure. that, um, it's sooner than later and that my eyes are still sort of in a space where they are like right now, where I'm still sort of Favorable. capable of yeah. doing a lot of stuff. Um, but look in the end, it's life. Um, I'm not changing. My eyes are changing. So it's just going to be a new phase in my life. And For sure. even through my eyesight, I want to see it as it's been a superpower since I knew about it because I mean, I, I knew about this before my accident happened. And I mean, that's the thing about pain or suffering mm. depends on how you look at it. But I almost feel it's a, it's a whole philosophy that one can go on and not use the bait. But what would life be without it, without failure, without pain, without suffering? If everything was just perfect, we would stand still. Well, we wouldn't know what happiness is. Exactly. And um, I just feel it's actually a, it's a, a superpower. And my eyesight for me, it's a superpower in the sense that I think it's making me live life and made me live life even more full while I still yeah. are able to see. Um, because And it's not like I'm going to stop when I'm finished. Obviously, it created that mindset. But yeah. because of it, I think I'm living life even harder than anyone else. So for me... I almost want to say thanks for that because yeah. I'm sure. impacting many more just because I'm gunning life, you know? Wow. Okay. So if you look at the future, if you look forward and given the eyesight, um, as an actuary, are you, is that something that you'll be able to continue doing from a work point of view or have you got something else lined up or, and then also from a sporting point of view, where, where, where what, what happens then? 
Well, that's a great thing about losing your eyesight. You can't look far forward, eh? So you just focus on now. <laughs> um, oh, my no, goodness. No, okay, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, so, look, there's no reason why I can't be carrying on as an actuary. Um, yep. But it's just I'm, I'm working as an actuary in a certain way now. Um, so it's twofold for me. I don't think I want to carry on working as an actuary because I feel I'm mm -hmm. in a place in my life where – I need to, I'm pushed in a different direction um, in, in many ways. So it's almost like my eyesight, I've always said like when my eyesight starts getting very irritating, working behind a computer, I want to move into something which I'm not entirely sure where it's going now, but I've, I'm starting to more and more get where I'm going. Um, so that's point one. But point two, um, I'm pushed in that direction, but at the same time, I also just, I don't think I want to, you know, it's weird. I, it's just, I feel... I'm happy. I'm enjoying working as an actuary, but it's just, I think it's time for, for the other thing. So, but it will be possible if I want to. Inspiring more people. Yeah, hopefully. It's always about, and I mean, I'm, I've got a three and a half year old kid. We struggled seven years to have him as well, but yeah, it's just, um, hopefully it's teaching him to also change the world, you know? So it's, yeah, it's, I mean, you've got kids. It's an incredible journey, you know? So, um, but yeah, look, and I mean, I have to say my, my, my employee at Deloitte, they will absolutely make anything work if they have to, you know, um, they've just been yeah. so supportive through my whole life. But yeah, you know, I just think it will be time to move on then for me. So, and I mean, I'm not keeping it a secret. I'm, I'm, my boss is very much yeah. on, on the same page with me. So, yeah, I think uh, you have a future enriching more lives is, is the way I see it. Um, and tell me from a sporting point of view, how, how, how would that, if, if it does get yes. to that point, how, how would that change things? Look, um, sport is probably, you know, I feel I was born with sport in my blood. So I don't think I'll ever stop doing sport. But from a competitive perspective, I, you know, I'll make my own competitions, but you're not going to have a blind. <laughs> just about to say, uh, I was wondering where you were going with that. I, I mean, you definitely can't tell me. I'm just going to stop being competitive. Yeah. But I mean, you're not going to get a blind quadriplegic competitive, first of all, racing anything, I suppose. But, uh, you know, also just having a class and a category for that, uh, you know, just won't be feasible. Maybe one day, but I mean, how many guys with all of that do, do you have, you know? So point being for me, yeah. I, you know, I'll definitely focus a little bit more on the on my own stuff again, like Ironman, that doesn't really have a quadruple category, but I created my own challenge, if I can put it that way, my own goal there. Um, yeah. But I mean, luckily, one thing that I can do in swimming, which is not going to change is I already swim double on backstroke on my back. So in open water swims, I always have somebody swimming behind me and helping me keep my line. So whether I see or not, yeah. I can still swim. Open water no swims. Really. So yeah. look, I don't know where the shoulder is going to take me. I don't know where life takes you. Um, but you know, the whole thing about the Robin Island swim was to see if uh, um, English channel crossing would be possible. So, I mean, I'll, there'll be there'll oh. be challenges like that. Yeah, um, uh, there's always going to be something. But I mean, I'm I'm also of, of the opinion maybe if I want and we'll see how it goes. But with the technology these days, if I do com go completely blind or whatever, I'll cycle a bike and have somebody on a remote control steer for me or whatever. You know, you don't know where it's going to yes. end, but it still needs to have again purpose or a reason yes. and. Uh, I need to be motivated to do that versus something else, but I'll find something. Uh, the point is life doesn't finish. You just don't have eyesight pain anymore. You know, the point, that's the thing that people don't realize. People get in accidents and they die. They're gone. I'm still here. Eyesight goes, I'm still here. 
your arm breaks, you lose your, you break your neck, you lose, lose anything of your body. If you're still alive, you're still alive. You can still make an impact. You can still do stuff. And the technology these days definitely makes it a lot easier and a lot more fun, sure. Um, but I mean, at the same time, there's always people worse off than you. Eh? They, they always is. Maybe not physically, sure. but those things that you can't see or financially or whatever. So I almost want to say nut up and shut up and go. <laughs> Live life. So, so I, 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 I agree with you. I said there's, there's no, I had when I speak and people come to me afterwards and say, wow, you know, I've heard your story. And I sat there thinking, wow, how, how dare I complain about the things that I see are issues. And, and my stuff is so trivial when I compare it to yours. And I always stop people and say, no, 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 you, you're seeing this the wrong way. Your stuff is relevant and relative to you. There's no, there's no hierarchy. Absolutely. Of, you know, who you, there's none of that. My job is to help you to identify the things that you can change and figure out how to change them and to identify the things you can't change and figure out how to accept them and embrace them and move forward. Mm. That's my job. And I think you, know, you, you do that so incredibly well, is identify the things. And that's exactly what you just said now. You identify the things that you can control and you control them, uh, identify the things you can't and, and really let them go. Mm. And you're a magnificent example of that. Look, and I, I must tell you, I, I came across hard there, but I, I'm on the same page though, look. Uh, you know, no, if a person... That's not hot at all. It's like, what, <laughs> no, but, what you do? Uh, you, you, you know. But I mean, what I'm saying is, also, I'm completely with you. A problem for a person is still 100% a problem for that person. And it's for exactly, sure. you know, it's exactly... It. For me, if a person loses his leg, I'm like, ah, oh, it's okay, he's able body, man. It's like, it's almost nothing compared to another situation. But in that situation, for that person, it's a huge deal until he moves on. And I think that's the key thing, you know, it's just like to say to try and get that mindset. For some people, it's easier than others, you know, and I look, that's where I just thank God that it was obviously a very easy thing for me. But I mean, at the same time, I do understand that people struggle with it and it's important for them to yeah. own it and then move on. I think that's the key thing, like you said. So Peter, just in closing, um, I always ask the guests for a little tip or just something that uh, can maybe help some of the people that are listening or watching to this who are struggling with their own sense of purpose. What would your advice be? Mm, it's always a tough question. Um, well, you've you've given us a lot of yeah, you really have. Uh, I mean, even if you, even if you hadn't, if we didn't couch it quite like that, but the, the thing for me is just it, it's very important. First of all, to 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 at least to have a purpose. You know, but I, I want to say my wife always said, yeah, she doesn't care about a goal. She doesn't have a goal, etc." Um, and in the beginning, I like it's not like I struggled with it, but I. I told her that it can't be or whatever, but in the end, she might see it that way. But then I showed her, but yeah, but you, you have a goal. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. And I, I think the important thing is just to identify that it is important to have a purpose because then you know where you're going. How do you find it? You're going to have to struggle. And I mean, hopefully there was a lot of tools today that came out. You give people tools, etc. But the point is you have to, first of all, start within yourself to figure it out. But you know, for me, I almost want to just say everybody's purpose almost must be to make a good impact around them. And everybody can. It's almost like I almost, it's self-belief. So my, my, almost my main tip would be start believing in yourself because I think a lot of people don't have self-belief sure. and they don't believe that mm. they actually are making an impact. But sometimes they make an impact to somebody they didn't even know. Mm. And I always say standing on the opposite side of it till smiling at somebody can inspire that guy and give him purpose because everyone else at the end of the day didn't and they 
nasty and they're tired and whatever. Here comes one person and he just smiles. It lights up that guy's day and you gave him purpose to just get through the next hour. But the point is, I mean, simple, small things like that. But if you believe in that, you'll start getting more and more self-belief. And the more small things you get self-belief in, in the end, you'll way past the goal that you have. Fantastic. Peter, thank you so, so much. I can carry on talking to you for ages. Fascinating. There's so much more I'd like to find out and know. But if you, like me, um, would like to find out some more, please follow Peter's journey. You'll find him um, on, uh, we put all the deets in the, in the show notes. Uh, go and find them there. Go and follow him and um, be inspired. Peter, thank you so, so much. And just wanted to wish you everything of the best. Huge pleasure, guys. It's been fun. Cool. Thank you for staying right to the end of the episode and for joining me on the Enrichment Project. Before you go, please share this episode with your friends and your colleagues. They will thank you, I'm sure. Remember that you can catch each Path to Purpose episode by watching on YouTube or if you prefer, on your favorite podcast app. The link to my book, The Power of Purpose, is in the show notes. Please go and check it out. It's a rad account of my own story of purpose and resilience and my fight against brain cancer. I finished six full Ironman events, a number of multi-stage mountain bike races, nine Ironman 70.3 races, including the Ironman World Championships and a bunch of other endurance events, all with stage four brain cancer because I wanted it that badly and getting to the finish line meant that much to me. As a professional inspirational speaker, business and life coach, author and storyteller, I'd love to add more value to you or your organization. Please find more details on my website, IamRichardWright.com and book me today for a live or virtual keynote, a masterclass, workshop or coaching session, or please follow my journey on Facebook, I am Richard Wright, Twitter, The Right Rich, Instagram, I am Richard Wright, or on LinkedIn. I'd love the opportunity to enrich your team. Thank you to the professional crew at Solid Gold Podcasts for the support, the talent, and the mad skills. And to Anna Hick for her creativity and genius video magic. Thank you. You all rock. <laughs>